0: Mission to explore the far reaches of cinema. Three daring adventures dive deep into the criterion and beyond. These are the tales of their adventures. This is Cynonauts!
1: Hey, this is Ian. I'm Boom.
2: This is Catcher.
1: And welcome to Cynonauts Exploring the Criterion woo-hoo, in just a little woo-hoo. bit. Woo-woo. We will uh, talk about Boom's pick, which is the big chill, but what happens to be <laughs> Ketter's favorite movie of all time. Surprise. Uh, we made <laughs> uh, and a surprise pick from last week. But before we get to that, Boom, I know you wanted to kick February off a little differently for uh, the fellow travelers at Cenenauts.
3: Yeah. Um, so it's Black History Month, which is a time of reflecting on the past and honoring our history and how far we've come, as well as kind of looking to the future with hope and care and realizing there's still a lot of work to be done in the fight against anti-Black racism. Um, And yeah, we, the hosts of this podcast, are all involved and passionate about breaking down systems of oppression and celebrating the Black community. As a biracial Black woman, it is very important for me that... People see the urgency and necessity of joining the fight against all racial injustice, but I also want non-black, specifically white people to understand that my life and my community matter beyond the systems of oppression that we faced and that you can connect with us not only through your sympathy of our struggles, but through the joy, joy Resilience and creativity that we black people bring to this world. Um, And in order for that to happen, we need to be afforded equal opportunity and recognition. On this show, we explore films from the Criterion Collection, which over the years has become the pinnacle and in authority of what is considered exemplary cinema The collection has over a 1,000 titles, yet less than 1% of the collection features work from Black artists. Um, To this day, only eight Black directors are featured in the Criterion Collection. And though we see more and more Black programming on the Criterion channel, the Criterion Collection itself falls short in that regard. It's kind of, in like that scene from One Night in Miami where the white man tells Jim Brown... (laughs) He can hang out on the porch, but he's, like, not allowed in the house because
1: he's black. Can't come inside, right? (laughs)
3: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, yeah, so we at Cinenauts are true lovers of film and know that there is, like, a plethora of exceptional and groundbreaking black cinema in the world that deserves recognition in institutions like the Criterion Collection. So for each episode we record during Black History Month, uh, we will quickly talk about a film that we believe should be featured in the Criterion Collection, And also as a way to prove that these movies are in fact out there. Um, So the first movie for Criterion Consideration, the first black movie for Criterion Consideration, uh, we would like to highlight is the 1973 film Ganja and Hess by Bill Gunn. This film is considered one of the first black art house films. um, Also one of the first films to depict a strong black lead with agency and status. It's the story of a black archaeologist, Dr. Hess, who is stabbed by an ancient dagger and becomes immortal and acquires an addiction to blood. The themes mm-hmm. are a metaphor for heavy drug-, drug addictions in that plagued the urban black communities in the early 70s and marijuana use being a form of escapism for black people. It also touches on themes of black love, power and mortality um, the film also displays exceptional visual storytelling, a powerful and haunting score, and truthful, poetic dialogue. The film being made at all is a story of resilience and radical action as the director Bill Gunn faced backlash from the studio as they wanted another marketable exploitation film, but he outright refused um, but, and went forward with his original vision. The film was not well-received by North American audiences, and the studio took and edited the film into a more agreeable blaxploitation film, calling it Blood Couple. So random. Um, (laughs) Bill Gunn was able to take his original edit to Cannes, where it received rave reviews and a standing ovation. He eventually gave that copy to MoMA for safekeeping. Um, And in 1999, a distribution company finally picked it up and restored the original to the best of their ability. However, Bill Gunn passed away in 1989 and was unable to f- see uh unable to finally see the honorable release of his film. And yeah, so I just believe that this is a great film with an amazing story and therefore deserves to be entered into the Criterion collection. So nice. Yeah, that's just like a little piece of black history, but I guess we should get into what we did and watched this week. And Ian, I know you did Sundance. So I'm like, so curious to hear about
1: that. Let me think. I watched a ton of Sundance movies this Mm -hmm. weekend. Let me think. I mean, I think I watched...
3: I was just like following along on your letterbox and being like, okay, add to watch list, add to watch list.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I watched 14 movies this week. Um, uh-huh. I'm probably going to watch one more after we record, and then definitely I'm going to watch um, Judas and the Black Messiah tomorrow. Oh, uh, yes. But uh, yeah, I watched 14, most of which are really good. There are only three or four where I was like, uh, eh, that wasn't like really worth watching, but... Mm. For the Master Jordan were really good um my top three my first one was coming home in the dark it's this New Zealand thriller film um basically a family goes camping in New Zealand and then um two guys show up and kidnap the family and then things happen mm. it's like one of the most tense movies like I've ever seen like period it was like pretty wild wow on paper it sounds very like cookie cutter but it's just so well done it's really beautifully shot too i was a big fan of that my second one was mass um this is based off a stage play and the story it's just four people the whole movie is basically four people and uh it's two families uh one set of parents meeting another set of parents and one set of parents uh their son was a mass shooter at a high school and the other set of parents one of the kid are parents of one of the kids who was shot who died. Oh my God. Um, really, really, really obviously heavy subject matter, but like Jason Isaacs and Dowd, Martha Plimpton and Reed Bernie are the main four and like all give basically the best acting performances of their careers. Like it's pretty unbelievable how good that movie was. Um, and then my last one was, uh, or my number three of, of the, my favorites, um, was called homeroom. It's just a documentary about a group of seniors in, um, Oakland high school. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, I think originally it was just supposed to be documenting their senior year of high school, and then obviously it turned into like COVID, um, and you know Trump getting impeached and all sort of stuff. Uh, a lot of Black Lives Matters movements, like all these sorts of things that obviously the, you can't plan for. Mm-hmm. The documentary was shown like without additional commentary, so no like no confessionals or no voiceover from the director. It was just shown as presented, and it was wow. so good, really inspiring to watch. And my review of commentary, my review for that was. Uh, I think rich white people aren't going to bring <laughs> Oakland back. It's these fired up young people of color. Mm. And I firmly believe that. Absolutely. Uh, and yeah, so those are my top three other really great ones um, on the count of three was really good. Marvelous in the black hole uh, one for the road, how it ends just lots of really good stuff coming out of, of Sundance. And I didn't right. even get to see all like the heavy hitters. So pretty, pretty good weekend of, of movie watching. On that's, my end.
3: that's so much fun. I feel like with COVID, and everything that's going on, and like movie theaters being shut down, um, like new releases are few and far between. So I, it must be like really nice to just be able to get like yeah. so many all
1: at once. You know, that's cool. Yeah, uh, yeah. So th- that was me. Catcher. Me? What did you? Uh, what did you watch?
2: Kind of like a jumbling of different things. I rewatched Chef. Uh, what's his name? Mm. Uh, Favreau. Uh, John Favreau. Yeah. I just love that movie. Anytime I need a pick me up, I just like watch that movie. It's just so lean and so good and so joyful. Um, I watched this movie on Shudder. Me and Emma did another Shudder random watch. We watched this movie called Room, which is not any of the rooms anyone else would have told you about. It's a new room. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and the premise is this couple moves into a house and they mm-hmm. find this crazy ass looking door with this weird ass looking lock and they open it and they find out that the room can grant them anything they want. Tangible physical items. So you first starts, this guy starts wanting like, he gets like the Mona Lisa, uh, an original Van Gogh, uh, like million dollars, like, and all this stuff just like pops up in the room and shit goes gnarly. Um, because they've been trying to get pregnant and they can't, and mm-hmm. then a baby appears. Oh, okay. And it's it's just so it's it gets
3: <laughs> and then weirder
2: and stranger <laughs> from there. Um, should you watch it? No, probably. So I'll just tell you what happened. <laughs> so so there's this the craziest part. So they have the baby, and now the husband is confused because the stuff goes away eventually. So it's like this baby at some point will have to disappear. And they're trying to learn the rules. And And what they find out is like once you leave the house, everything ages rapidly. Mm. So all the objects deteriorate, but so will the child. And he ends up taking the child outside to kill him. And uh, instead it just ages him. And then he becomes like a, teen, mm. like a hormonal teenager. And then that gets weird. So <laughs> it's just like it gets stranger and stranger. And it's just I hated it but it was okay. is whatever. Um I watched 30 Coins which was uh it's a series on HBO from HBO Europe. It's shot uh it's made in Mexico. Boom. Mm-hmm. Uh our buddy from Sense 8. The main mm-hmm. star like the main Mexican star, oh, the guy who's in the soap yeah. opera.
3: Miguel Silvero, I think is his name.
2: I think you're right. Yeah, he's in this. Um, And so the premise, the first episode of the show is amazing. It's like an hour and 20 minutes, so it's like a movie-length thing. And Mm -hmm. uh, the 30 coins represents the coins that Judas was paid to give up Jesus. And these coins Mm -hmm. have been, like, flung through time, basically. Like, they've made their way through time since then, and they're a bad omen. Uh, and it's a horror movie, like sort of like a horror movie set in this small village town in Mexico. And, Mm -hmm. uh, it's cool. I won't say anything more than that. People just need to check it out. Like I have not seen past that first episode, but some of the creature work and some of this other weird shit that happens is bananas. Uh, if you're into horror, check it out. It's really good. And then let's see Waterworld, Mm. the Ulysses cut. Thanks to 70 millimeter, I was so inspired. I went out and I bought this forty dollar DVD Blu Ray edition of Waterworld and watched it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. My You've God, I've been popping I don't
3: tags know. at Sonic Boom, eh?
2: I've been I I am been <laughs> using Sonic Boom pretty regularly as I nice. did this week for Big Chill. And last but not least, uh, I'm going to be on Dune Pod uh, next week, uh, talking nice. Denny Villeneuve's Polytechnique, which is like his first feature does, film. Uh,
1: does 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 H over DunePod, does he like Denny Villeneuve? I'm I'm unsure. I
2: don't know. I think so. I think he just likes him because he's directing the Dune movie. I'm not sure. But I'm going in there to talk him up. Uh, Polytechnique (laughs) is amazing. Uh, Yeah. Intense. Very intense. Really sombering. It's about uh, a school shooting that happened here in Canada in Montreal. Um, Mm -hmm. So brutal, but absolutely wonderful. I saw this movie many, many years ago before Denny Villeneuve was like a name. And through time, I kept seeing his name pop up and attach to things. And I was like, it's the same guy. And they never mentioned Polytechnique. So I figured it wasn't him. And then eventually I realized it was. And I'm just so happy to see where he's gone. So it was all kinds of stuff this week. It was nice, though. It nice. was really good.
1: Yeah. yeah. Boom. What did, you, what did you watch? Yeah. So
3: what did I watch? Oh, my God. So I started a watch through of the MCU movies like, in order of mm. the MCU timeline. Honestly, I kind of cheated and started at the first Avengers because I couldn't bring myself to sit through, like, all three Iron Man movies. (laughs) But I I started WandaVision and I just kind of felt a little lost because I Mm. missed a few of, like, the key films in the timeline. So I figured, whatever, like, I'll give it a go. But yeah, I'm down with the MCU but i think the draw for me is like the fun environment of like going to see it in theaters like i'm not yeah. a stan but i just love you know like catching like the latest marvel flick you know on opening and, like, night the or whatever
1: in a crowd yeah right. it's
3: just like super hype and um, and i like i don't think that all of the movies are that good but anyways i would say like The standouts for me were Winter Soldier, which I Mm
4: -hmm.
3: have never, I hadn't seen before. It kind of surprised me because I think in terms of filmmaking, it's actually quite well done. Mm -hmm. Like all the Marvel films are super entertaining, but I think they just, like they're not that good. Uh, I don't have anything. I mean, you're not,
1: you know, I don't really like the MCU movies. (laughs) I I love comic books, but the MCU movies are like pretty boring to me. They're super digestible
2: they're not going to like change your life or anything like
3: you'll have a fun time but it's like i'm not wandering around being like oh i wonder what like four is up to or like you know
1: (laughs) it's like my my uh, not to turn this into mcu bash fest but like for me the thing (laughs) with mcu is that like none of the movies are really different and none of the dialogue is like you could take like any dialogue that like iron man says it's just like Something something quippy like pop culture yeah. reference, and then like something like I don't know. It's all like it's just so kind of formulaic,
3: the same. exactly. Yeah,
1: every, everything is the exact same. I'm like not that interested in watching. A hundred
3: percent, and yeah. So other than Winter Soldier, I would say uh, Black Panther, of course. Which I I think is, like, actually legit. And I think one standout thing about Black Panther is I think all the Marvel movies kind of, like, grapple with this idea of, like, what it is to be a hero. And the heroes Mm -hmm. kind of just, like, go out and mess stuff up and mess stuff up in, like, you know, ruined cities. And then they're like, oh, we shouldn't have done that. But then they just (laughs) don't care and do it again. And I think, like, one refreshing thing, theme in Black Panther is kind of watching T'Challa kind of deal with that and actually work through it, you know? He's like, "Oh, like so my dad killed your dad. Like, sorry about it. Still going to kill Killmonger, you, but I'm
1: I'm going to yeah." <laughs> Killmonger is also like the easily the best villain in all of the 100%. MCU because like re- you kind of get where he's coming from. Like, yeah. you're not really, you know, he's not trying to, you know, you know, destroy half of the population of the of the world, or do these no. like super villainy things? Like you kind of like feel the where he's coming from.
3: He's exactly like yeah. It's it, he yeah. was an, he was a very interesting interesting villain, and and I like the way that they did him. It, it, it works be, in the end because it's like you're still rooting for like Wakanda and T'Challa because he like Killmonger's mongers an extremist, but you still right. it kind of like leaves you thinking about like those. The things that he kind of brings up, and and it's good, it's smart, it's and it's good filmmaking. So, yeah, Wakanda forever,
1: guys. It also has one of my favorite lines of dialogue in the MCU, and just like really great. It's at the end Spoiler alert oh. when uh, Kill Killmonger dies, he uh. says to Takala, to uh, Can you believe that? A kid from Oakland walking around believing in fairy tales. Like, that's such yeah. a, yeah, such a beautiful, well written line. Yeah, like, I, it's so, it's such a great I, line. So,
3: I always cry Wakanda. at like when. Killmonger dies and when he says I rather he's like I want to be remembered as like someone who like jumped off the boat like my ancestors right. oh, because I, yeah. they knew that it was better to like be in bondage
1: right oh. yeah, yeah I know heavy stuff, Balling. Heavy
3: stuff. all right
1: Balling. <laughs> um, there you go uh, nice nice fix everyone before we get the big chill again boom thanks for the uh, Black History Month cold open uh, we're gonna be doing that again The rest of the month, so if you actually want to send us an email or something, talk about some of your favorite black films, shoot us an email at centerknotspod at gmail.com. Please do, yeah. Uh, I bet you will do some social stuff, and I say that as the person who posts the least on our Instagram account.
3: (laughs) (laughs) No, I'll get, like, I'll gather a list of, like, all the titles, and I'll, like, put them on, like, Twitter and and Instagram, of course.
1: Nice. All right, so, (laughs) boom. Where are you taking us? Take us there,
2: this Boom. Thing. Take us. Oh, I'm boy. Ready.
3: Okay. I'm sweating because I know <laughs> I don't want to do catch or dirty. But anyways, let's get in the time machines.
4: <laughs> blue, 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 blue.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to the year 1983 to hang out with some boomers. Um, <laughs>
2: <laughs> I would just One like boomer- to quickly point out that it is Black History Month, and I'm glad we decided to kick off the month with the whitest Movie in the history <laughs> of movies. Like, <laughs> I just thought that was I, the whole time I was watching it, I thought it was so funny. I'm sorry <laughs> to interrupt. Boom, go ahead. No, no, I love
3: it. Okay, yeah. So, one boomer in particular, <laughs> Lawrence Kasdan, uh, who had just seen great success with his 1981 directorial debut, Body Heat. While in editing for Body Heat, he has the idea of an of doing an ensemble film that explored the generational woes of the baby boomer generation that grew up in the idealistic free love 60s and 70s, um, but then came to face the cold reality of adulthood as they moved through their 30s and 40s. At the time he wanted to make this film, a lot of big studios were interested in working with him, but didn't believe in his vision for this film would be a success. And although there were a lot of great genre films coming out of the 80s um, that were getting people out to the theaters, the studios were still interested in sticking with film content that was tried and true. But Lawrence sticks to his vision. He teams up with his lawyer's wife, Barbara Benedict, to co-write the script, and eventually it gets greenlit and secures a $9 million budget. It then does an incredible box office run, Earning about 56 million overall. It received three Oscar nominations, including Best Picture, Best Original Screenplay, and a supporting actress nod for Glenn Close. And yeah, one of the reasons The Big Chill is so highly regarded and still celebrated to this day was not only its excellent commentary on the widespread existential dread that was affecting baby boomers throughout the nation. Not only the amazing soundtrack that features nostalgic R and B and pop tunes from the 1960s, not only the incredible acting and precise direction, but how it broke the mold and set a new bar for stories being told in mainstream cinema. Um, For those of you who haven't seen *The Big Chill*, the story, like life, is simple yet so so complicated. It follows a group of friends who spent a few amazing years together at the University of Michigan, a group of friends who loved and supported each other and had big dreams and plans for their future. We meet this group about a decade later as they reunite to attend the funeral of their friend who has died by suicide. After the funeral, they spend the weekend together and we join them as they catch up, rekindle old flames, reflect on the past and worry about the future. And of course, there's so much more than that. So I'm excited to dive in. Um, I wanted to start off. I know this catcher, this is one of your all-time favorites. And I know that your parents love this film. So it's been in your life for a while. And because a big theme in it is how your perspectives of the world change over time, I was wondering... If there's a difference in how you um, personally connected with it and perceived the film, like from your first viewing, and how you connect with it now um, in your latest viewing as an old, old, old man. <laughs>
1: Uh, <laughs> that's, now that you're a boomer yourself, now, you that, feel this movie?
2: now that I myself use a cane on a daily day-to-day basis, <laughs> it is important for me to look back on my fonder years. Um <laughs> it's actually kind of interesting. Um you say that because this watching it this time, this was really the first and actually I brought it up to My parents just being like that, letting them know that we were covering the show. And my dad said he was really excited to see if that feeling of like realizing those days are gone and where you are now and all that stuff and all those themes. And it's funny to me because it is seriously one of my favorite movies of all time. But the themes of the movie have never been the most important thing to me. And they've never been Mm -hmm. the thing that resonated with me the most. I've always just been so much more intrigued with how the characters interact. Like this was Mm -hmm. the first time I understood what the power of a script would be. Like Mm -hmm. I never understood Mm -hmm. really like, I just watch a movie. I I see everything. I I never took into consideration all the different parts of it. But when I was younger, this was the first time I was Mm -hmm. really aware of like the script writing and what was going on and how they were talking to each other. And, um, So this time around, I guess I I was realized the larger themes uh, of the movie a little bit more. Um, But also I just realized just how good it still is and like how much it still (laughs) rocks. It just rocks. Every scene is just giving you so much, not so much, but just enough information. And it's just giving you everything you need to know. It's never exposition heavy. It's never hitting you over the head with the complications of these people's relationships. It's always through the most natural dialogue. And I just found mm-hmm. that that's still the case now. I'm really happy about that. Um,
3: yeah. I yeah, would I, say, I,
2: I, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah.
3: Oh, I was just going to say, I, I would agree that it's kind of like a masterclass in like natural, naturalistic dialogue. You know, I think that examples of films like this that are very like dialogue driven it's really hard to kind of pin them down and make them and give off like the feel you're going for because eventually at some point it and it ends up feeling like over dramatic or super hokey and i never really felt that watching this i i thought it was very well well written i loved all like the hidden gems like in the conversations and how it kind of like tells, you know, how it explains who, who they all are. So, yes, I I agree with
1: you. Absolutely great writing. Even the parts that don't have writing tell a lot of the story. Like, yes. I think the opening montage does, is French so kiss. good. Like, it yeah. really just shows you who every single character is without saying mm-hmm. a word of dialogue. Absolutely. Uh, you, you know, I mean, you, you just get little glimpses of people, like, whether it's their lives or someone's you know, what's his name? He's someone's coming on a uh, first class flight and they show the magazine that he's on it. Yeah. The you know, guy's popping his pills and showing up late to the funeral. I mean, they just do all these other, these things that hint to you, like who these characters are and who these people mm-hmm. are without like explicitly telling you, Um, Hey, aren't like, you know, Oh yeah. He was an actor or something like that. I don't know. I, I think totally. a lot of that stuff works really well.
3: And I like how they d- use those, like use that as well to kind of like show the relationships between the people in in the Mm -hmm. group as well, just with like these little touches. Like there's that one moment where um, I'm going to mess up the names because there's so many of them,
1: (laughs) Yeah. the
3: the brunette, the long haired brunette woman, what's her name? So Karen is standing there with her husband and then Nick comes up and like greets them. And then Sam comes up after and greets her and you know it's kind of like off to the side but they have this like really awkward embrace where like they don't know if they should hug or kiss and then they end up kissing on the mouth and it's just like it's great it's brilliant
1: yeah and then they bring it and then that just plays into things later you know about the you know karen says she loves him and they yeah want to run away together all that sort of stuff what a wild ride yeah Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) yeah they tag it together nicely um, for me, I mean, I, I want to talk about the soundtrack quite a bit. I know yeah. boom razzed, uh, catcher a little <laughs> bit on, uh, with her review, but I know it was a joke folks. If you're listening, it was yeah. a joke. Uh, that yeah, the soundtrack is, is so good. Uh, catcher yeah. had that up to us last week. I think at the end he said, at the very least, you're going to like the soundtrack. Uh, it's awesome. I mean, to me, it captures like the feeling of the, like, of the film really well, like yeah. a lot of, especially since I think now that, I mean, those songs are classics then, but now, especially that all those songs are basically like, if you have any sort of knowledge in music, you've probably heard all these songs 100%. Uh, and it doesn't really take away from the film. Like it's not really distracting hearing like these, you know, the temptations or Aretha Franklin or Marvin Gaye or whatever, it all just like works really well and feels very natural um, for the time. It doesn't feel like a gimmick. You know, I feel like now no, if people, yeah. if a movie drops like "The Temptations" in a, in a in a movie now, like the point of the scene is to use that song, yeah. Versus in mm-hmm. here, it all just feels like very natural and like part of the movie, if that makes sense. Well, it's
2: what they yeah. would have been listening to when they were in school, right? It's like the music right. that would have been soundtracking their lives. And mm-hmm. I love that I, that one line that Kevin Klein says. He's just like, "There's no other music that plays in my house." Like, right. like this, you know, even that one offline, it's like the, 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 music plays into this idea, this idyllic idea of where they were when they were together and that, that time period in their lives, that like special moment for them. Um, yeah. and this music just totally captures this sort of like nostalgic feeling for yester, like a, a bygone era that was like mm, so totally. special.
1: Yeah. Cause I feel like whenever people like hang out with their college friends or whatever, that's something that happens, right? You kind of, you would put on music that reminds you of that time or something like that. And I think yeah. that's, yeah. Oh, a hundred. Yeah. I went
2: through a a crazy like emo core, like music <laughs> trip, like a, a month or so ago. And it was just like, oh yeah, oh, I remember God. these days. Those, that was fun. <laughs> that was a good time. You know, there's just like music, just like it has that powerful tra- like transportative uh, quality to it where all of a sudden 100%. your body just like travels back to that time. Uh, you know, it's, it's so cool and yeah. so smart the way they've done that.
1: You know, something that I think helped make the cast feel really natural is when I was reading up about this. So the main cast members lived together for a few weeks prior yeah. to filming. Like a month, I think. Cool. Like a month. I a month? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's cool. Like they, it really helps everything feel like natural and yeah. makes everything just feel like they weren't just like brought in here. And obviously, um, you know, and on that I think it's cool because all, a lot of the casts are now like very big names or at least, you know, have had their big moments of, of fame. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, Glenn Close, obviously, uh, Jeff Goldblum, Kevin Klein, And then, you know, it's just cool seeing these people out there, you know, very early in their careers acting in this very you know, natural way. Although Jeff Goldblum was still like very Jeff, Jeff Goldblum.
3: So Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. That character, I'd say that character was like a hard pill to swallow because (laughs) everybody, you know, you kind of like see their place and like, he's obviously like the black sheep of the the group. Maybe aside from Mm. uh, Alex who like, yeah, his character was, was rough and almost to the point that I didn't see the, the, almost to the point that i didn't see the point of his <laughs> character yeah. you know i think he shines in moments and i love jeff goldblum i like he has some of the
2: best lines him, i but... think in the movie honestly
1: yeah fair. do you have any do you have any favorite lines uh, it's not catcher? like what he's
2: saying is good or what he's doing is good like that whole that there's that whole sequence where he's t- talking with sam and they're like they've yeah. got this cam- at one point uh william hurt who's one of the characters finds a video camera And throughout the movie, it's like they're using the camera to sort of interview themselves and that sort of thing. And uh, it's him and Sam Weber and he's sitting down and they're talking about, he's talking about how, like, he's kind of a dick, but he's obvious about his dickishness and how he feels like his obviousness about his dickishness makes him more honest and makes him like a better person because he's not lying about how shitty of a person he is, you know? And right. like that, it's perfect. It's like, it's perfectly encapsulates how much of a dickhead that guy is, like how self-centered <laughs> he is. It's like, Such a dickhead. you know, it's like, it's not, he's not a good guy. He's the guy hitting on their best friend who's just, you know, committed suicide. He's now dead. They're at his funeral and he's, and Jeff Goldblum is the guy who's going to hit on his girlfriend. Like, you know, it's <laughs> just like, he's a dick and totally, that's just, totally. there's no getting around that. And I think, I don't know. I don't know about you guys, but like, I I've had groups of friends. There's always one that <laughs> is maybe not the best of us. You know, is it an group of is. friends catch? I'm trying to think myself right now who that would be, but I'm not. Sure. Our group of friends is so wide and varied it's hard to pinpoint. Yeah. But like, you know what I mean? It's just like I, I just that to me just feels right. Like there is one of those people in yeah. every group.
1: He also has that great line where he says. Uh, 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 amazing tradition, they throw a great party for you on the one day they know you can't come (laughs) at at the wake. I thought that was... was The
3: funeral humor was wild.
2: (laughs) We give discounts for people who kill themselves in our bathroom. I was just like, Glenn Close, amazing delivery. Okay, so besides Jeff, did you guys have like a character... Whose story you enjoyed or like, did you uh, like everyone sort of in these triangles with like Mm -hmm. relationship triangles? Like, were there any triangles that you really found were interesting or did or any characters that you really were like surprised by or like interested to see? You
3: know what Uh, triangle we think was interesting.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Go on, Boom. (laughs) Tell us more, Boom. What do you mean?
3: Okay, I'm gonna go off. No, um, obviously, Sarah... What's his name? Hunt or anyways, Harold, Kevin Klein, Glenn Close and, um, Meg that, Mm -hmm. that trio was so interesting. And Mm -hmm. honestly, like I, the ending was surprising, but I absolutely (laughs) loved it. I was like, this is so weird (laughs) and not in a million years where I thought this was going. Okay, so first of all, for those who don't know what we're talking about, this is kind of like the end of the movie where Glenn Close's character allows her friend Meg to consummate with her husband, played by Kevin Klein, so she can get pregnant and have a child and raise it on her own. And I thought that that was really interesting because out of all the talking that's going on in this film and and all the kind of looking back to like this time that they lived in and all of like the going on goings on during that time. I think like that was the best example of how they cared and mm-hmm. looked after for each other and like how deep rooted that, that love actually was. And mm-hmm. it's, it was mm-hmm. a very unconventional choice. um, But I think, I thought it was awesome. So, yeah. Yeah, that's
1: that, and just like the amount of cocaine that just slowly (laughs) irked its way into the party. Also, yeah. (laughs) Part of the time. (laughs) Uh, like what does someone say? Like, uh, like you can't sleep because you you had too much cocaine. <laughs> like, yes, uh, but right, like Kevin Klein says also, like, like close.
2: she's point. just like in bed and she's like fidgeting around and her yeah. feet are dancing everywhere. And he's like, "You are in no position and to have this conversation." Right. Over yeah. like, what do you mean? I'm totally fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, I yeah. love it. But like, even that interaction is just like, it, yeah, it's perfect. Like, yeah. yeah, exactly. It's so much fun, and like, he's seen her in this mode a million times before. And he knows right. exactly he's like, I'm not even going to I'm not even going to play with you right now. Like I'm not even gonna give you the time like I know what you're like, there's nothing I can do. I'm just gonna to go to sleep and you figure out your high situation on your own, kind of thing. I just right. so yeah. wonderful.
1: Uh I, I'm sure Catch would be remiss if we don't get to talk about the car porn going on in this movie.
0: Uh,
2: <laughs> my God, this I love Porsches for two reasons. Yeah. One, I had a booklet of weird car pamphlets as a kid, and I always wanted a Porsche 911. And this movie made me want a brown Porsche 911. (laughs) That car is so gorgeous. That man is such a hero for driving that car um even though
1: he fucks up his jump into the car later in the movie
2: different guy he doesn't (laughs) he doesn't screw the car right it's his car the other guy jumps in the other guy sam we've mentioned sam a few times he plays his character is amazing he's like uh magnum pi but in this universe so his name is jt JT lancer Lancer. perfect (laughs) so good um his mustache incredible uh yeah, the Porsche is so great and I just want to drive that Porsche all day long. It's so wonderful. Um it's such a great it's such a great visualization of who this character is. Like a Porsche is such a reliable, beautiful, well-made machine <laughs> and this thing is like barely holding <laughs> itself together right now, just like William Hurt's character. Like oh, God, I love this movie so much. There's just so many little details um, that happen in it that are just so telling of, uh, characters, personality. Yeah. Um, I, and something I, I learned, I always learn something new when I watch this. Something is like revealed itself to me every time. Mm-hmm. Um, and you learn throughout the movie that Alex, the person, their friend who has, uh, who's, who's died back when they were in college, he turned down this fellowship.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Which I'd never really caught on to. I never really understood. I'd never even realized like that was a thing. And while I was watching it, I realized they brought it up. And it's brought up a few times. And the first time it's brought up, everyone in the room is sort of a, their face changes. Like hmm. something important has been brought up. And I was like, what is this fellowship all about? I need to look into this. So I started like doing a little bit of research. Thank you, Reddit, oh. for giving me the answer. Um, <laughs> but what it turns out is at this time, it's v- Vietnam is going on as we learned yeah. through William Hurt's character, that he went. But um, Alex, who in this group of friends was sort of on the pedestal as like the best of them sort of idea, and he was offered this fellowship to work at this university. He was like studying science. I think he was going to be a doctor or something like that. And um, the story is he turns down the fellowship, and the idea of him turning it down is basically he could have gotten out of the draft to go to Vietnam but instead, he turns it down because he doesn't like the implications of that freedom of, like, the university sort of affecting everyone else's lives and the idea that he would be right. getting out of it just because of it. And the whole, all of their characters have been sort of, like, fighting the government in their own ways. It's the 60s, and that was sort of, like, what brought them together. There were mm-hmm. these, like, impassioned protesters and all that stuff. So the mm-hmm. idea that he would then, like, say no to this was a huge deal, that he would say no— and then he would go into the war and then going into vietnam is what sort of really f- fucked him up and it's why he comes back and never becomes the kind of person that he's supposed to be
1: he was destined to he be was that. destined
2: to be this person you know and so the idea that he has all these like odd job odd jobs and weird things and goes on this like off path route through life is because he sort of turned down this th- this job and they all sort of realize it you know and and so there's all this story that's sort of going on in this movie that slowly reveals itself as you're paying attention to like the small moments, yeah. the little things that are going on. Um, and so for me, that was so moving because now I really, the ending and William Hurt, this character he's sort of a drug dealer. He himself has sort of lost his way and he sort of basically picks up where Alex leaves off, off, at, off when he, when he's died, he's, you know, mm-hmm. he's decides to sort of start working on this house that Alex was working on before he died and he's doing it with his girlfriend. And so, so this sort of like character moment revealed itself to me after like years of watching it, where I was just like, Oh my God, wow. Like there's not a beat of this movie that doesn't give you something more. And I just think yeah. it's so, uh, I can't, it's Hard for me to talk about it in like a regular way because I'm just always so impressed by it. <laughs> so be cool, dude. Yes, yeah, and that
1: captures <laughs> like no, no. uh, <laughs> keep it chill, yeah. Uh, and that captures thank you, boom, yeah. <laughs> uh, and like those subtleties in conversation about how like they don't explicitly say, you know, if he hadn't turned down that right. uh, fellowship, he would have gone to Vietnam. Like, because friends don't talk like that, friends just kind of know if something comes up, everyone knows what's going on or what the reference is and then that's sort of just like well they would have
2: had that conversation right 20 years ago or whenever it was right and so now it's so shorthand that oh yeah this was this decision that led him down this path you know exactly um excellent excellent yeah Yeah.
3: one thing i would like to address i know catcher and i argued about this a little bit yesterday in the group chat (laughs) Mm -hmm. but (laughs) And I know what Catcher's gonna say. He's gonna be like, everything means something. Wah, wah, wah. But the scene where Richard, (laughs) so Karen's husband, like the boring, like suburban husband, is in the kitchen eating a mayonnaise sandwich with a glass (laughs) of milk was, I literally wanted to die. I was watching this film with our like my friend Sophie, and I was gagging. It was so it was like just
0: like
3: the most horrifying scene in cinema in history.
1: Catcher, how many mayonnaise sandwiches have you eaten?
2: Yeah, I can't oh, actually I, I can't me. actually tell you how many cheese and mayo sandwiches I've eaten in my life. Ooh. Like so many. Uh, that is yeah. so gross. So, so Catcher,
1: de- defend the uh, the mayo sandwich and milk. Okay,
2: I'm gonna defend a couple things. One. Well, first let's introduce this character. So this guy, he is the <laughs> husband of one of the main characters. Okay. The idea about him is he's the outsider of the group, right? He's the friend yeah. who wasn't he's the person who wasn't there. And right, he has this right. amazing opening line when you first meet him, where he starts dragging his wife, Karen, about how none of these people were who look like who they they, none of them are pure like she described them to him. Right. Like this idea that like she has just been talking about these guys for years. These people for years. These are her best friends. He's never met them. And this is the first time he meet him and none of them are like that. This, this idealized version of these human beings. They might might as well be gods. And he's like, these are just a bunch of losers. Like he doesn't understand <laughs> who these people are at all. And he's sort of like this grounding reality for these people where they're all living in these this bubble of this heyday of who they used to be. And so right. you meet him later on in the movie, he's eating this nasty sandwich Uh. in the middle of the night um, for a couple reasons. One, he's supposed to be not interesting. So the idea is there's another love triangle, there's him, and then (laughs) JT Lancer is the love of this woman's life. And this is his wife's life. His wife's life, exactly. So... He's boring because JT Lancer is cool. He's a movie star. He's got a mansion. He's got a maid that reads lines with him. Like, he's so cool. <laughs> yeah. He's on Us, Us Weekly magazine, like all this stuff. And he's just a dude eating a nasty white sandwich with a white drink. And he's super white Damn. and boring and blase. And he's he has this amazing line where he's talking about how at a certain point in your life, you just have to make the decisions of what's a priority and what's not. And you just deal with the consequences of your decisions. And he's like, nobody told me it was going to be fun. Like nobody Mm. told, at least not to me, he says. And that is a huge realization for the characters in that scene, the two guys who are there. Because at the end of the day, this is the lesson that so many of these guys need to understand, which is the heyday is gone and you have Mm. to understand where you are now. And you can't get that back. And you just need to you know, move on with your life and like deal with the shit that's important right now and not living mm-hmm. in a fantasy world. So he is a loser though. He's a big loser. <laughs> <laughs> a big, I'll, li, I'll bring him up later in my criterion moment. Cause he shows
1: back up there. It's really funny. Nice. Yeah. Nice. We'll end the, uh, big chill conversation on the Defense of the Oof. mayonnaise and milk god, sandwich. That guy, so How many amazing you.
2: moments. Sure. Everyone should just go in and watch this movie right now. Catcher, this isn't That's a four
1: hour same. podcast. I
2: know, I'm sorry about that. We can cut it now. <laughs> <laughs> uh
1: if 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 catcher K- wants if people want to talk to Catcher more about uh about the big chill, shoot us an email and we'll please that'll that'll give catcher more uh more fodder to chat Maybe about. Maybe I'll start a
2: podcast.
1: Just about the big chill. Yeah. Oh my the god. The big pod. Uh, sandwich. Pod. Is that available
2: <laughs> bigpod.com? Sorry. I'm sorry.
1: So let's get to our uh, criterion moments. So we'll round table discuss the moment that's why you think this was featured uh in the criterion collection or a moment that stuck out to you, so and so. Uh I'll go first. So for me, uh, I talked about this earlier, it was the the montage scene to to open the film. I think a lot of movies mm. try and do that and it doesn't really work or you don't think about it again. Um, and, you know, so typically if like a movie opens up the montage, I'm kind of like, okay, like this seems like whatever, like get me to the story. But like in retrospect, it's actually like just perfect it's and perfect. works really, really well. Um, and it like didn't bother me. And I, I, again, it set up just all the characters perfectly and um, just set up, you know, their stories and and who these people were before you even got any dialogue out of them at all. So um yeah, yeah I just think as a, a really, really well done intro into a like on paper, the movie's pretty simple, but it is like we said, like a fairly complicated movie, especially like trying to navigate yeah. the relationships and like yeah, the dynamics, as yeah. yeah, the dynamics and as they're revealed to each other and all this sort of stuff. And yeah, it, it that really stuck out to me. So the opening yeah. montage is is my moment. It's a good one.
3: Yeah, my criterion moment is the dinner scene when Sarah gets sad that Alex oh. isn't there and then the conversation that follows, I feel just kind of like grounds all the characters. Um and it's also the first time I think that they're all together in the same place if I'm mistaken, mm-hmm. like I know they're technically together at like the funeral, but it's just like you actually at once. exactly and it's like an intimate like kind of set setting where you get to see all of them and it's just a powerful moment and I think you know before that point we get an idea of them as individuals but I think in this scene it's kind of really the first time we get a sense of how like they moved as a group and Mm. so really like that scene although I did not like Jeff Goldblum like making that like throwaway comment about the ghetto kids. And then yes, they yeah. immediately segue into like listening to Motown music. I was like, this is the most boomer thing I've ever seen. Yeah, but yeah, other yeah. than that, <laughs> loved yes. it.
4: Yeah.
2: Uh,
1: okay. catcher. What about you? So choose one.
2: I know I, I, I struggled very much, obviously. Of course, of course. Um, in a similar vein, Ian, as yours, there's a scene, uh, So they've all gone to the wedding, uh, sorry, the wedding, the funeral. They've gone back to the house and they decide that they're actually going to stay for the weekend. And there's a sort of little montage where it shows all of them taking the stuff out of their bags, like their overnight bags. And it's like everything that's inside those bags is so telling of who these people are. So Jeff Goldblum, who, by the way, is staying in a little boy's room in a little airplane bed. Perfect. (laughs) Absolutely perfect about who this character is. And he just takes out (laughs) batteries for his video, his audio recorder, because he's a journalist, and just condoms after condoms after condoms. (laughs) Like, he's just like, he's just a little boy. It's perfect. And then uh, Karen takes out uh, her makeup bag, her hair dryer. Everyone has a hair dryer, hair dryer, by the way. Hair dryer, (laughs) makeup bag, uh, curling iron, and then uh, a the magazine with Sam on the cover that you see earlier on, on the airplane. She also yeah. has that, you know, and she has this secret love affair with him going on. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, her husband takes out Maylocks, a bottle of Maylocks and like a picture of their two sons. And like, that's <laughs> it. That's like, he's so boring. He's so predictable. It's perfect. And then, you know what? Uh, someone else. You know, Jeff
1: Goldman has all his condoms and all that sort of stuff. And condoms and everything. Right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. And,
2: and then, uh, uh Meg has like a calculator and uh her cigarettes and and uh William Hurt has nothing it's just like a bunch of smelly clothes in his, in the, the front part <laughs> of his porch like that's all and drugs like that's yeah. all he's got and it's just like it's perfect you just get again so much about this is the dialogue but so much about it is like what's not being said in in, in these little moments so yeah and the dancing scene
1: yeah the dancing scene is also the dancing
2: very good
3: so much fun I was just going to say another thing that I really loved about this movie that I don't really think gets represented enough is like the power of friend love. You yeah, know, yep. I, I like it, like intimate friendships, because I think everything is there's so much in society and in cinema. Like there's just so much weight on romantic relationships and then friends are yes. kind of just there to like. You know, just be there at some point in time, and and that's it. But that's not necessarily true. Like my friends in my life are are the, all the loves of my life, and I and I mm-hmm. really appreciate how well that is captured in this film. And and I agreed, and I think totally. that aspect of this film is truly, truly beautiful. And I haven't seen, you know, much like it. So
1: mm.
2: agreed. Yeah. I could not. Yeah, said it perfectly. Yeah.
1: Cool. So now let's get to our satellite picks again. uh, We will select another piece of content or something for people to watch, listen to, read, whatever, pair along with the big chill. Let's go in reverse order. So catcher, what is your satellite pick?
2: I had a hard time because I was like, what movie is like the big chill? There's nothing like this movie. It's the best movie. I have nothing. And then I was like, I'll do the soundtrack. And then I was like, "Eh, I've already mentioned it. And then I remembered this film. Uh, from 2014. It's called About Alex.
1: I haven't heard of that one.
2: Yeah. It's with uh, Jason Ritter, uh, Mm -hmm. Aubrey Plaza. This is the biggest rip-off piece of crap of The Big Chill for Uh. millennials ever. And um, (laughs) the reason why I'm pairing it is because if you watch it and then you watch The Big Chill, you will understand the subtlety that is why The Big Chill is so good. It's just Uh, like they rip off... There's so the the whole story is a group of friends from university all come together for a weekend because one of their friends attempts to commit suicide. He does not. <laughs> he does not succeed. He does not succeed. And then it's all of it. Basically, plays out exactly like this movie with a lot of similar dialogue, except poopier and shittier. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. I just think it's so will help you appreciate what's so great about the big chill by seeing it next to this terrible doppelganger.
1: That uh, is a, is that our first like negative pair reverse pairing? <laughs> yeah. I like I'm that. Here, you know, I'm pairing. here to break
2: the rules. Apparently wow. every, yeah, yeah. I like
1: that. that. No, that's smart. Like if you don't think the big chill is that great, check out this movie that tried to do it and failed. Yeah. I like
2: that. Yeah. Because I just, there's, there's a lot in not having Alex in the movie. I think that hangs over the film. Um, who was famously cast by as uh, it's Kevin Costner? It's yeah. his arm in the opening sequence when the body is <laughs> being dressed. Um, yeah. And there was actually like a scene that was a flashback uh, mm. where you meet him and then they cut it because they didn't feel like it was necessary. So, mm. uh, yeah, so about Alex, poopy movie.
1: Thumbs down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> boom. What is your uh, satellite pick?
3: Okay, I also struggled with the pairing for this. I understand. Um, but because it's just the top of the tops and right. it's like, where do you go <laughs> from there? The only way to go is down. That's right. <laughs> that's, all, that's all I'm trying to say right now. <laughs> and to be honest, like I'm going to I'm going to do this as my pairing, but I've watched these films recently and think that they're good, but not like as amazing as people always say they are. But anyways, my pairing is like the before trilogy, So that's like before sunrise, Mm. before sunset, Mm -hmm. before midnight. And Mm -hmm. it follows two travelers that meet by chance and they spend the day together in Vienna, I think. And they find this like deep connection uh, or like they find out that they have a deep connection. And then there's like two sequels, but they're each nine years apart. And every film we kind of catch up with them see where they're at in life. And they just have these like lengthy conversations about their expectations for life and their ideas and relationships. So yeah, it is interesting. It truly is like an interesting trilogy of films. Um, I think I just kind of like my attention span just kind of like waned a bit because it's very dialogue heavy. And I didn't, mm-hmm. I really hate Ethan Hawke's character. I loved uh, oh. Julie Depley's character Anyways, so yeah. And that's my pairing.
1: Sweet. (laughs) nice pairing. Mine is the 1975 classic by Robert Altman, Nashville. Um, Get it. It's a three-hour movie about um, basically the country music scene in Nashville, Tennessee, um, sort of like leading into and leading into like a political convention. Um, The reason I am choosing it is because Robert Altman is known for like very famous for his realistic type of dialogue and just like massive massive casts um you know I think Nashville has 22 main characters who you spend oh. time with the people aren't as tightly connected as they are obviously in the big chill but there are a lot of like similarities I saw just in terms of how the dialogue is laid out and how the story sort of weaves together and stuff like that um also it's just like a freaking awesome movie so awesome. yeah Nashville all right, so we have uh, some emails Ooh. this week, including That's- a special one that we get at the end here. But let's uh, Yay. let let's check these out, shall we? So our first one, this one I think is meant to have been sent last week. Speaking
0: of uh, Dune Pod, this is from our boy H. Hey, Cynonauts, it's H. Sorry, this is late, but regarding last week's episode, I grew up with the beasties. License to Ill came out my sophomore <laughs> year of high school, and I was lucky enough to be in the audience in 2019 when Spike Jones shot the Beastie Boys book, Movie. I've always most treasured the sensibilities of the Beasties and their producers. Boom compared Run-DMC's Raising Hell and License to Ill. Both were produced by Rick yes, Rubin, who pioneered the concept of fusing white rock music with hip-hop on Raising Hell and then perfected it with License to Ill. For their sophomore album, Paul's Boutique, the Beasties moved from New York City to L.A. and teamed up with another unknown production team, the Dust Brothers, who would later produce Odalay, the Fight Club soundtrack, and Tenacious D. Paul's Boutique Ooh. was a ferocious, bonkers, 70s funk explosion that is my generation's Abbey Road. It also has my favorite Beasties line in their masterpiece, Eggman, about cruising the streets of New York throwing eggs. Not like the crack that, that you put, put in a pipe, but crack, crack on your phone. is, is the town now white. Regarding Nathaniel Hornblower, shout out to him crashing the MTV Video Awards when R.E.M.'s Everybody Hurts won instead of Sabotage and Spike Jones.
2: Sometime. This is an outrage because
0: Spike is the director That has just, (laughs) let me just tell everyone that, and and since I was a small boy,
2: I had dreamed that Spike would win this, and now this has happened, and I just want to tell everyone that this is a farce, that I had
0: all the ideas for Star Wars and everything. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) Love you guys. Keep doing what you're doing. P.S. Check out the "License to Ill" and Paul's Boutique sample sources playlists on Spotify. You'll get your mind blown.
1: <laughs> Thank you, H. Thanks. Uh,
0: <laughs> did he do Kanye I'm, before Kanye did Kanye? Then yeah, yeah, I was yeah, just yeah. thinking
1: that I, now. Yeah. I didn't. I did not know that. I had not heard of that story. I had no idea. That's wild. I I need to just say I am not co-signing on uh, Paul's Boutique being. <laughs> in abbey road of any sorts oh, I'm, just gonna, no. I'm just gonna i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to argue h on that one so but Uh-oh. thank you for the voicemail h just saying we'll, yes we'll, thank we'll you take this always to great DMs, to hear h. from you yes great to hear from you <laughs> we'll again, take uh, it to the dms he says cat, catcher <laughs> will uh catcher you might receive grief from me on uh oh no you already recorded dune pod did you not
2: oh uh, no i'm recording tomorrow so yeah all
1: right let's troll the in Ple- no just please
2: kidding. do please do
1: Again, listen to Catcher on a Dune Pod uh, next week. Yeah. All right. Next up, we have an email. Hello, Cynonauts. This is Al. First of all, I want to say that I'm enjoying your podcast very much. Keep up the great work. I was very happy when I found out that you were going to talk about The Big Chill. I Aww. saw it for the first time in 1983 when I was in my early 20s with a group of friends and a girl that later became my wife.
3: I'm going to cry. Since then,
1: since then I've seen it numerous times. This past weekend, my wife and I, who are now in our early 60s, sat down and enjoyed it once again and didn't disappoint. Uh, The soundtrack is amazing. My feet were tapping and my wife was still trying to sing. The message of this movie is as relevant today as it was then. True friendships last forever, no matter distance or time. My son, Catcher, and I do not always have the same taste in movies, so I am thrilled that after introducing him to The Big Chill, he includes it as one of his movies just as I do. My goodness. That's my dad. That was such my a goodness. beautiful
3: email. I'm love like it. literally trying not to cry right now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Chop, chopping onions in here. My goodness. That's love so
3: it. sweet. I love that Catcher's parents keep writing in. And I will say, <laughs> I keep you. You know, just on, on the topic of the big chill and love and friendship, I am Al and Frank. I am friends with both your sons. They are like a second family to me, and you guys did. An amazing job raising two beautiful, beautiful okay,
2: boys. Okay, oh. okay, 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 <laughs> okay, that's, all right. that's all right. Love you, buddy. Thank you. Um, I also do think it is funny because he just mentioned that my mom just keeps singing, which is something that always happens. But poor Emma, poor Emma had to deal with me do, doing the same thing. Every time a song came on, I was like,
3: Jeremiah was
2: a bull. I just kept, just like, I couldn't stop myself from singing. So I, I thought that was funny. That's it, we good. need to All soundbite
3: right. that and just like play it in the promo for uh for this <laughs> the, the episode.
1: <laughs> Amazing. Uh, nice. Uh, thank you, Al. Thank Thanks, Bobs. So yeah, thank you. All right. You. And so this is uh, our last voicemail for this week and this comes hey. from dear friend of the show, Sophie.
4: Bonjour, mesinenat. C'est ton ami Sophie. I'm sorry. I hate myself for even doing that but hi it's your friend Sophie the person who has somehow become the pronunciation police on this podcast (laughs) a title I might add that I never asked for but I I'm I'm okay with it as long as it means that I'm part of the the crew that's all I want in life anyways I guess I'm here to announce that I'll be joining the Sinonauts crew next week thank you for having me despite me making fun of all of you for your butchering Latin pronunciation. Thank you. And I guess my my choice for next week is a slightly chaotic one. But it's a movie that's been on my watch list for so long and I would love to cross it off and talk to all of y'all about it. I'm so sorry, but the runtime is a hot two hundred and seven minutes. I might deter some <laughs> listeners from from watching this one with us, but I, I think it'll be worth it. So <laughs> next week, we're going to get into our time machines and go to the year 1586 in Japan. I don't wow. know if you could piece all those things together yet, but we are going to be watching <laughs> Seven Samurai, the Ooh. Japanese epic samurai drama film, co-written, edited, and directed by Akira Kurosawa, okay. and lucky for Sinanaz, you'll be able to uh, make fun of my pronunciation and butchering of Japanese names and words, so that'll be fun. <laughs> and yeah, I'm I'm sorry in advance for the runtime of this of this movie, but it it's gonna be an epic one. So that's my pick, oh, and man. I'll see y'all next week.
1: Amazing, yes, amazing, yeah. I. Sophie, thank you very much. And thank you for joining <laughs> us next week. Yeah. this is I, nice I, I've been like torn about wanting to choose a Kurosawa, but I haven't yet. So of course, Sophie comes in the clutch and chooses one for me. Perfect. <laughs> That's great. Have you, have either of you seen Seven Samurai?
3: I no. have not. But I can tell you right now, Sophie and I will not be watching a three-hour movie together because (laughs) (laughs) it'll the episode will never happen. So we're gonna have to do that separately.
1: Up, I'm ready.
3: I'm so
2: excited.
1: Yeah, man. Yeah, Cor. I mean, I'll save it for next week. But Kurosawa is. highly influential in my movie watching life. So I'm very excited to talk about Kurosawa. Yay. Cool. Yes. And I think this
3: is going to put all like the Marvel movies that I just watched to fricking shame. So I'm excited.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. So yeah, next week we're going to have Sophie who has a stellar podcast voice just right off the bat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, She will be joining us to to discuss Akira Kurosawa's seminal film. Seven Samurai uh, Boom so Catcher excited. any any last Words
2: uh, uh, Just you know hug your Friends keep mm. I mean yeah. I guess it's Hard right now Probably in the pandemic but yeah. Reach out <laughs> you know make sure Your friends are good check in with them And uh, just appreciate You know the power of friendship Because it's, mm. it's yeah. like Boom had mentioned So beautifully before it's so vital and so Important so yeah absolutely nice.
3: Thank you for being My friends
1: Oh, yeah. Thank like, you for being like our old, Like the Golden Girls. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. Who's we we'll, who? well, I don't know the Golden Girls that much. so to make a call on that. Uh, but if people have thoughts, let us know. Oh, yes, please do. Anyway, thanks, everyone, for hanging out. And See we will you. talk to you all next week. Bye. Bye. Ciao,
3: friends. Bye.